You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us for this episode of our RSA Conference podcast series, where we will be talking about robot downsizing, how the ultimate solution to security is human. Today, we're making the assertion that the ultimate solution to security is human beings. And we're joined by two industry rock stars who will be defending that argument with some solid evidence. Why? Because while our industry has certainly moved the AI needle forward, the reality is that smart technology only goes so far. So before we jump into it, I'd like to ask our guests to introduce themselves. Masha and Vinny? Thanks, Casey. Hi, everybody. I'm Masha Sadova. I am the founder of Elevate Security, a platform that focuses on reducing human risk and measuring security actions and nudging employees to security behaviors using behavioral science. Uh, My background is a security practitioner, and along the way, I fell in love with behavioral science and behavioral psychology and have been applying that to my work ever since. Prior to starting Elevate, I had the chance of uh, building and running a team at Salesforce, and prior to that, I I worked in the defense sector as a cyber analyst focusing on the Russian threat. Really excited to share with you all a little bit about what my journey has taught me about the human element and why I am the biggest fan of the solution to security being human. Hi, I'm Vinny Liu. I am uh, 20 years in cybersecurity on the offensive side, and I'm the CEO and co-founder at Mission Fox, where I lead a team that does uh, the same thing for our clients, helping them find vulnerabilities and weaknesses before the bad guys do. And in that 20 years, I have spent a lot of time identifying vulnerabilities, finding them, and then finding more efficient ways of doing so uh, with and without technology. And I'm excited to be here today. So thank you, Casey, for for having both myself and Masha. Thank you both so much for taking your time to join us today. Masha, I wanted to start off with um, asking you what has been a long and ongoing debate, the human element. Is it the weakest link or the strongest line of defense? Yeah, I'm really glad we're kicking off with this this conversation because this is inevitably where all debates end up for me, especially when I talk to many years security veterans. Um, I think there's this recurring belief that, oh, well, the human element is always going to be a source of pain and weakness for our organization, so we should just write it off. But what I have found over my uh, decades of being in this space is that the human element is a layer of defense like anything else. It is absolutely prone to mistakes, but if you invest in it, it can be one of the areas that can serve your organization in its defense. I've worked for organizations that when they create very positive security cultures that empower employees to report suspicious activities, their employees are able to identify, detect, and report attacks either external, internal from insider threat, or testing, like like penetration testing that, that Vinny's team does, um, and have been able to identify things that our technology never could. That's not to say that our employees won't click on phishing links and they won't make mistakes, and they, they will, but that's not a reason to not invest 
in the human element to be able to be part of our defense infrastructure. And I think the reason we have gotten to the place where we talk about the human element being the weakest link is because it's a comfortable excuse to accept the status quo instead of actually using it as a rallying cry to take a look at the solutions we've been applying in this space, realizing they don't work to solve the problem at hand, and we need to be thinking about new and innovative ways of engaging the human element of our organization. Yeah, that layered defense and the human element being a critical part of it. Today, I want to turn to you for a moment. As we think about the benefits of AI, we know that many solutions can help lessen the noise that overwhelms our analyst teams, but it has the ability to winnow through data more quickly than a human being ever could. And that's given rise to this idea that AI has the potential to actually even replace humans. Can you explain to our listeners the ways in which that narrative needs to shift from replace humans to a more realistic idea of AI augmenting the work of humans? I would guess I would respond to that by kind of building on what Masha was saying about this concept that humans are the weakest link, right? And in some ways, that can be true, untrained, unsupervised, and without any, you know, if you just picked somebody off the street, that, that might be the case. But I also believe, on the flip side, humans are also our greatest strength. And this is where I think this narrative around AI replacing humans and, you know, like, it's such a flawed concept it's so nice, and to Masha's point, it's comfortable to think that, oh, you know what, in the future, AI is going to do all of this work for us. But the reality is today, no firewall or cloud deployment ever configured itself to be secure. It just, it just hasn't happened. And the contextual awareness, the business context, the intelligence to adapt to a specific scenario isn't something that AI today or even in the near future is going to be able to do. So all of the stuff that's on the market today is really, you know, trying to pitch you on all of these ideas that, yeah, and I think to a degree, those who are, who are being honest about the conversation, AI and technology can allow humans to do things faster, but it doesn't mean that they can do everything. It's the difference between scaling and, and adapting and problem solving. And AI is not problem solving. It's just allowing you to enhance your effectiveness. And right now, that's kind of the state of the art in the industry. That's interesting. So if we accept Vinny's position that technology can't actually replace humanity, in security defense. Masha, why have so many security teams turned to technology solutions in the past instead of investing in the human element? Yeah. I, for one, am glad that the uh, robot overlords are still, we're going to give them a run for their money for at least a little bit. To Vinny's point, um, yeah, firewalls don't configure themselves. One of my favorite examples of why Technology is better when, when they're augmented with humans is the story of Deep Blue and the game of chess where Kasparov lost to Deep Blue. But when Kasparov is paired with AI, they are unbeatable, 
right? So the human element alone, it doesn't stand up necessarily a great chance, but paired with technology, we do a really uh, great job, better than technology alone can do. But we have been solving the human element to date as an entirely technology problem. We, we refer in security awareness and training to employees as the human firewall, which is not what human beings are, right? We are dynamic, messy, complicated individuals. We aren't a programmable OS. If you teach us something, we don't do it for the rest of our lives as if it's set in stone. And the thing that I feel that the security industry has been missing to date is understanding that the problem base here needs to be oriented in a human-centric approach and understanding how and why we make decisions as human beings. And there's so many fields out there that have studied this question. Psychology, organizational change, and behavioral science are just uh, a few that are out there. Even marketing and advertising has spent decades studying why we make purchases and, and what drives us to action. We as a security industry, though, haven't done a great job of inviting other expertise into our industry and learning from the studies of other industries to apply to security. So one of the things that I've been doing in my work is applying things like social proof, right, which compares your performance to your peers and shows you how you're doing. And what we found is that when you compare your efficient performance to the people in your department, if you're doing worse, you are much more likely, eight times more likely specifically, to actually course correct for your bad fish and click-through habits if you feel motivated and engaged by uh, comparison to your peers. But we use that for Yelp and Amazon. Even our power reports give that kind of feedback to us. Why not security? So, the human element of security can't be solved like we do by programming our firewalls or our operating systems. We actually have to be blending our approach to the space with new skills that security alone can't bring to the table. I, it's I interesting. It's people influencing people. Yeah. Sorry, Denny. Go ahead. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I think my, what Masha is saying is spot on. And on my side of the fence, on the offensive side, that's precisely how we get the best results is a confluence of human-guided intuition and adaptability with tooling to support and enhance what we do from a testing and attack perspective. Because there are certain things that humans are going to be much more well-suited for, noticing subtle differences in behavior that lead to, you know, the positioning of certain questions that we explore when we're trying to exploit a system. And then there are certain things that technology is better uh, suited to do, which is, you know, hammering and brute forcing and cracking passwords and things like that. To give you a very simple example, right? I mean, you could sit there at a keyboard and try and crack a password or you could let a machine do it, you know, repeatedly over time. But there are going to be certain things that humans understand about a situation, which is to say, hey, try these types of passwords, try these types of things when you're breaking in, um, in this context or use this language and then to automate it and make it more efficient with technology. But, but it's, the, it's the combination of the two that leads to the best results for us as well. Right, and it's that concept of the people process and technology, right? But it seems that still we are at a place where the investment, when we talk about investment, 
organizations are investing in process and technology rather than the people. So what is at risk if that continues, that companies aren't investing in all three equally, the people, process, and technology, and they're only focusing on process and technology? That's a question I'd like to pose to both of you. But, Vinny, let's start with you. You know, we see this today in the offensive security market, which is the current state-of-the-art offering that's out there from a tooling perspective, the state of the art has not really advanced much in the last five to six years. And effectively what it is, it's, it's still taking tools in your toolbox and hammering against a target in different ways very quickly. Now, what that means, and, and I, I like this, you know, Bill Gates had a great quote about, you know, process and technology. And to paraphrase it, he, he says, automating an inefficient operation will only magnify the inefficiency. And so if you're looking at a problem and you you don't have a creative way or a good way of solving it, but you try to automate it, you're just doing something inefficiently at, at a greater magnitude. Problems are solved not by AI. They're not solved by processes and technologies. They're solved by people. The process is designed to make it more repeatable. The technology is designed to make it more efficient when you're repeating it. And I think that's where a big gap is today is is that people think that, you know what, I can just go and take a tool off the shelf and I can drop it in and it's going to make my problem go away. But it boils down to the, you know, pithy statement of firewalls don't configure themselves. Vulnerability scanners don't just automatically go and find vulnerabilities. If you talk to anybody today, it's, well, they generate a lot of noise, right? I mean, that is what we're leading to is a world in which the state of the art in some areas without humans involved to curate and to manage those processes, when you run them and you run them at scale, you just get more and more noise to the point where it's totally unmanageable. Sydney, I really like that idea. It's uh, technology and process only amplify. And if you have a good base, then it really gets you to higher place. And if it's bad, it'll just amplify the pain. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't thought about it. Like that. Some, one of the best and most secure organizations that we've done work with year over year hasn't been the one with the biggest budgets or the latest and greatest fancy tools. They don't have a huge security team, but they consistently are the ones that are the most difficult for us to penetrate. And a lot of people think that, oh, it's these companies with giant budgets and, and massive teams and world-class experts that are sitting around thinking about how to defend against attacks that are, that are going to be the most secure. And that's not actually the case at all. The organization that we have the hardest time breaking into or repeatedly have some of the best security are the ones that actually have a bit of a constrained budget and a constrained resource, but that forces them to be creative. It forces them to focus on thinking about the problem they're trying to solve and then doing it really intelligently and then to layer process and technology on and continue to refine the process and tune the technology. If, if anything, I think our industry has technology fatigue where you're getting, especially today, with thousands of companies trying to get your attention to buy the latest and greatest feature that they're trying to sell when really what you need is a really great team that's thinking carefully about the problem, those are the best teams that we work with. Those are the most effective teams in defending their their networks when you've got a really solid people aspect. 
uh, process and technology are an afterthought once you've got a good team. When you're talking about people in this case, you're talking about the capabilities of the security team. Is that correct? Yes, but I I think to blend it into the world that you interact with as well, I will say that culturally organizations, and not just the security team, but if you have an IT organization or a general employee population that understands security, that is steeped in it, the ability to affect change is much greater because when we come in and find vulnerabilities and when we share them with the security team, they then need to take that to IT, to developers, to other parts of the organization in order to remediate and fix those things. When you've got an organization that supports it from the very beginning and supports it through remediation, everybody's a lot more effective. They're much more open-minded to it. And, and, and that is really the goal of having a team like ours come in is not just to find vulnerabilities. Everybody's goal is really to eliminate them, right? To increase the security of the overall organization. There's a lot more importance that could be placed on employee populations just understanding the value of being a secure organization. Yeah. So what you're just describing could probably be summed up as what is the security culture of the organization? What What are the unwritten, unspoken rules, like well, this is the way we do things around here. Do I highlight and escalate things when, when it's an issue or do I brush it under the, the rug and pretend it's not there? And the consequences of, of having a well-established culture in, in pen tests that I've seen it really show up in reporting has one of the core, I was talking about this earlier, defense capabilities. And the question we started this this topic was, was why shouldn't we just invest in process and technology? And what I have seen is that organizations who do double down on the human element and creating a positive security culture where people can raise their hand and say, this looks weird, um, can you help me investigate this? Or I clicked on something I shouldn't have, can you help me remediate it? And aren't fearful of retaliation. There's this trust between the security team and the rest of the organization. What ends up happening is the security team gets ahead of issues before they really become significant security debt. So there's a lot less to clean up. There's a lot fewer skeletons buried in, in your closets. And where I've seen that really show up and is uh, I was working with a company who had hired a pen test firm to come in and the pen testers had spent a month creating a really custom piece of um, both phishing and then malware to be able to get a foothold in the organization. And in this organization, one person out of the 10 who would see this targeted spearfish attack raised their hand and said, this is kind of weird. I'm not totally sure. And they forwarded to the security team who then quarantined it, analyzed it, flagged it, and then and did a month's worth of work for the pen test firm, uh, the, the, the red team here. And uh, the economics of that become very, very pricey as an attacker, where as an employee like, and then as a security organization, you only need one person to report. And it kind of evens the odds for the first time, right? In phishing, we say one person needs to click for a during attacker to get a foothold. If you can create an effective security culture where people are reporting the correct thing, 
You just need one person to flag those kinds of activities to be able to get insights into places where your technology is missing. And it's not like it's going to stop the attack, right? The other nine people will likely click on it. But what happens is it changes the economics of the attack so that the attacker really has got to up their game and really want to get into the organization. And if there isn't another organization that is easier to get into, that doesn't have a culture that is bought in, they'll go after that instead. And uh, I, I hate to say this, it feels very glass half empty, but you don't have to outrun the tiger. You just have to outrun your slowest friend. And when we invest in the human element, we are fighting back against this changing threat landscape with everything we have. And if we don't invest in the human element, we leave a third of our defense capabilities on the table when it's just process and technology. To maybe throw out an apropos example, when you wash your hands and you wear a mask and you socially distance, it's more effective when everybody does it. When you have a good baseline awareness, when your employee population is doing it consistently, even if it's 70, 80% of that population. But if you think that only the security team needs to do that and you think only, hey, 5% of your employees need to take it seriously and everybody else is going to be secure because of that, that doesn't work. Everybody should have a baseline level of awareness and understanding good behavioral patterns around security and everybody benefits from that as well to link it back to Masha's example. That's what's effective. That's what's highly effective. And it's so interesting to think about, you know, the trajectory of this thought of the human element and the human risk. And I do wonder if since the rise of automation and AI, has that then caused people to think differently about the need to invest in the human so, Vinny, I wanted to ask you and maybe identify for listeners the very different capabilities that are inherent in automation and human beings. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this a little bit in some of the earlier questions, but human beings are particularly good at looking at novel situations and coming up with novel solutions and doing the synthesis of disparate information and applying context around it. What we're not good at is doing the same thing repeatedly without error over and over and over again. And also as humans, we have to sleep. We have other things that we need to take care of. So there are certain things that technology can do over and over and over again. And there are things that humans can do from a creativity and problem solving perspective. Where the two of them really come together effectively is in problem solving and then scaling. Um, and that's really, it's understanding where the handoffs are. Like you don't just go in and walk into a machine and expect a diagnosis to come out. No, what you do is you go to a doctor and the doctor has a conversation with you to understand what your symptoms are, tries to understand other environmental factors that are surrounding it. Then they take that and they'll have you run tests. They'll say, maybe you need to get an x-ray. Maybe you need to get a blood test, right? But based on the results of those initial tests, which are done using machines and automation, and the blood tests are done using technology, then what comes back is a set of results. And then that those results are interpreted and analyzed by a human 
applying the contextual information that they have, determine what the next test is done. And oftentimes that next test is also done using automation. And, you know, like a lot of those things using technology allows a doctor to more effectively make the right diagnosis and then to provide a uh, prescriptive treatment plan around it. And that's a really great example of how technology can augment but doesn't replace the need for the human to be involved uh, in, in, in problem solving and addressing a situation. But I, I guess if I were to talk about the differences, um, so, so there's a bit from a compassion I think is you know possibly considered like context. Confidence I like to think of as, as trust in a way. Trust is confidence in what you're doing is, is the right thing. For example, when we're doing testing and we're trying to exploit a system, it's important that a human is the person who pulls the trigger. It's important that even after you've identified a potential vulnerability, it's a human who understands what the potential impact is and what the risk is, pulls the trigger, um, not automation. And then from a communication standpoint, um, technology allows you to communicate effectively with other humans that makes you more effective, but it doesn't solve the communication problem for you. And those are all really important distinctions between automation and humans. But Masha, some would certainly argue that humans, all humans, are fallible. What's your response to that when people point to humans as the flaws and offer up, why not go with robots, as the answer to that? Yeah, uh, I was thinking a little bit of what Vinny was saying. It's like, yeah, it, it does help us be better and, and enhance a lot of our abilities. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're still human. We're still going to make mistakes. And in the medical example, the doctor might not see everything. But I think the thing that we also sometimes fail to acknowledge is that our technology isn't perfect either. I've seen time and time again, we use this double standard where we accept that our technology will have false positives and false negatives, and that's just part of the tuning process. We hold the human element to such higher standards and say, oh, well, you made a mistake. I can't trust your, your feedback now. Why is that? Why don't we apply the human element with the same amount of learning and feedback as we do when we do tune our technologies, as we do feed our uh, machine learning systems with more data sets so that they can get better and get practiced. If we think about human element, either in the security team or in your employees, and acknowledge that, yes, they'll make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that it isn't something that we shouldn't learn from and get feedback from and continue to evolve, I don't think we're, we're doing full service to what that full element could be. Um in general, I, I do think that uh, security practitioners just have been particularly hard on the human element because, back to my earlier point, it's easier just to say it's the weakest link. People will make mistakes. Let's not look into it because it's not a technology problem. It really is. It's about communication. It's about getting feedback. It's about learning. It's about improving. It's about connecting your mistakes into your inputs about how you train your organization to know what to look for, to know why to look for it and acknowledging that you're not going to get it right 100% of the time, which doesn't mean you're not improving. I love that because I, I think it's so true that it's rarely ever the focus that technology fails as well, right? But we have these such high expectations of human beings. 
I want to shift the conversation a little bit to talk about culture and the human element. Masha, let's start with you. I know you had mentioned security culture earlier, um, but what really does that mean in terms of an organization and why do I need one? Yeah. So I think just take a second to define culture. So behaviors, security behaviors are observable. They're the things you can measure. Do people have 2FA turned on or not? Are they using password managers? Are they clicking on links? Culture is the reason why we do things. It's our beliefs. It's our assumptions. It's our mindset. Do I believe security is important? Do I believe it is part of my job? Do I believe that I have a role to play in securing my organization? Do I believe that I have a role, even with all this technology at play, is this part of my story? And the culture often is really hard to measure, but you know when you walk into a different one that you're in a different place. And the thing about security culture is every organization has one, whether or not you've invested into it or not. And it's either working for you or it's working against you. And your employees are going to find a way around the technology controls if it hinders them and they don't understand why. If you as a security team do not spend the time communicating why their role is important and why you are investing the technology to enable them to browse the internet more securely, send data more securely, if they are not bought in, they will find very creative and very ingenious ways to make sure your technology fails. Um, and so making sure your employees have buy-in to the security space is what I mean when I talk about security culture. And that comes from positive reinforcement, making it safe to fail, having open dialogue, giving personalized feedback around progress for, for employees. When you have positive security culture, what ends up happening is you minimize how much security debt you create. There's going to be a thousand small decisions your organization starts making without you looking over their shoulders as a security team. And every one of those decisions are going to help you be more resilient instead of creating bugs in your code or using default passwords. A thousand small places that in aggregate add up to so much security risk that when it's time for a pen test or an attacker starts looking to your organization, it's those cracks that are going to lead to a breach. On the other side, if you do invest in positive security culture, it's not like those cracks won't happen, but you'll have much fewer in your networks and in your organizations, and therefore you'll be more resilient. Our experience with security culture is a little bit different, and so I can describe it in a way that's more around resilience. When we encounter good security culture, you know, organizations where employees are aware of the impact and the importance of what they do individually on a day-to-day -day basis, it makes our job considerably harder. They, as an organization, have fewer issues that we can take advantage of. They have much better hygiene. And when we do manage to gain a foothold or manage to successfully infiltrate the little breadcrumbs or behavioral differences or uh, artifacts that we leave behind are detected more quickly. And they oftentimes after, even if we do manage to compromise and take advantage of those weaknesses, they know the importance of fixing it and things get fixed faster. And it's just something we've observed over many years of working with different organizations and realizing that the ones with a great security culture 
are more resilient and more adaptable and get healthy again much faster than the ones where security culture isn't as great. And oftentimes we may come back in in subsequent years and find the exact same vulnerabilities in the exact same position without any movement. And it's evidence just based on the systems that we run across and uh, the findings that we have year over year. Masha, how do people get started? What are the first steps in creating a security culture? There's two parts to it, and I think about it as an iceberg. So you have your mindset, which is everything under the ocean, where you can't see it, but it's there. And then up top is the behaviors. And the first step is focusing on mindset, which is honestly the easiest way to start shifting mindset is start by explaining why to your employees, to your culture. Why are you asking me to do this? Why should I care? Why is it relevant to me? I've seen some really great ways to do this cheaply by sharing case studies, giving feedback from what your security team is seeing to the rest of the employees and create that feedback loop. Talk about what the industry is seeing. Talk about why you've invested in the technology that might feel a little bit more invasive on someone's privacy, but has significant security trade-offs for the company. And so... Explaining to employees why instead of treating them like they're a third grader who needs to be controlled and mitigated and has nothing to contribute, we'll start building that relationship that we were talking about earlier. And the second half of it is the behaviors. So these are the observable actions that you actually want your employees to take. Get really clear around the top two or three you want your employees to focus on and measure them. When people do it well, reinforce it with positive incentives, kudos, applause. And when they do it poorly, let them know where they went wrong and give them course-corrective feedback. And so between the two of those combinations of explaining why and then measuring what you really want to be changing and reinforcing it um, when it happens well and, and course-correcting when poorly is the foundation of how you create a system that will continue to build positive culture year after year. That's some great advice. Vinny, Masha, this has been such a great conversation. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before we wrap up? You know, I think it's been a great conversation with both you and Masha today. I think the one thing that I would tell the listeners is, you know, when you look at automation, when you look at technology, when you look at AI and a lot of the promises that are being promulgated by the vendors of those solutions, think really deeply and carefully about the problem that you're trying to solve and determine if it's a problem of scale or if it's a problem that requires creativity. And that's really where you know what to lead with, whether you need to lead with a human, or if you need to lead with a machine. Ultimately, you do need the combination of both in order to solve problems efficiently at scale, but solve the problem first and then apply automation and technology to it. And I want to chime in and say, for those of you who haven't invested in the human element with as much weight as you might, Consider looking into what it what it would look like if we involved the awareness and training program beyond just a compliance checkbox to something that actually engages your human element as part of the defense as we've been talking about today. I highly recommend 
if you have an interest in this, there's some really great books around this. One of my favorite short novellas around this is called Deep Thought by a research institute called Ideas 42 that really talks through how human psychology interplays with technology and security vulnerabilities and how looking at the human element can really help shore up our, our defenses. I'm always open to more conversations if any of the listeners want to reach out and find me on LinkedIn. Happy to continue the dialogue directly. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Vinny, Masha, it has been a pleasure talking with both of you listeners. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for our next podcast. 